In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I think one of the big issues facing Christian men is to learn how to have caring conversations as well as courageous conversations. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard, I'm here with my brother from another mother, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? So fantastic. Wow. Yeah, all yeah. right. You're counting down the days to Hawaii? Uh, yeah, I actually am. I've oh. done a lot of aerial views to see exactly where I'm going to be snorkeling, which rocks I'll be under looking for fancy stuff. Yeah. Oh, you're going back to where you were born. Yeah. Yeah. Back <laughs> under my rock that I, crawled, hey man, I, I crawled out from under. Jeez. Yeah, well, that's better than my kids. Bless my, you. I tell my middle you. son we found him in a subway toilet, so that's different. <laughs> so, hey, uh, hey, uh, I'm excited today about our guest. This guy uh, wrote a book on the biggest topic of men's conferences around the world. So the number one topic Let that people talk about is... Being a father? Yes, fathering. Uh, and he oh, wrote the so book good. on the subject. I'm super excited to get him on today. But before we do, do you have a man word? Yeah. What, what do you think it is? I, I was watching you look at the cover of Pete's book, and I'm going to go with the word that fathers need to be real. Is oh the word my real? gosh, you did it. Yeah, well, you it's gave me quotes. enough hints. Waka, waka. You gave me enough hints. Yeah. Do you want to explain why you chose that word? Yeah, dude. Uh, guys need to be real. They have to be real. Um, being fake isn't going to help you in life. And a lot of times we do things in our life because we think it's going to please others. Uh, we don't want to let people down, but honestly, we just need to be who we are created to be. Be real, and uh, you've you've spoken about this before. Don't be that guy that's like you have this veneer, yeah, and it's all fancy and everything. We got to strip that away yep. and be who you are. Well, you can't you be will the, co- that you, will come out eventually. Yeah, absolutely, and we want guys to be their best version of a man in Christ. Mm-hmm. And you can't be your best version if you're busy trying to be somebody else's best version, That's or you're right. imitating somebody's version. So That's right. you be you, and you're good to go. And so, hey, uh, give us a little iTunes uh, yeah. announcement here. Hey, iTunes. Uh, or review well, announcement. Yeah, podcast. We'd love for you guys to go and, and leave reviews, and that helps us. Um, and so we've uh, been sharing those here recently. But um, if you have one, a review, this has impacted you, please share that. 
Uh, and then we'll reach out. We'll throw your name out there, whatever you put on there, and then you can hit us up, and we'll get, send you some swag. We really love so. the rating, but give us a review as well so we can uh, yeah, the uh, ratings just kind are great. of do that. Yeah, review. that'd be great. Hey, so uh, I'm going to bring our new guest today. I'm really excited about this guy, Pete Allenson. He is 64 years old. He's been married to his wife, Karen, for 40 years. They live in Winter Springs, Florida. Pete's the founder of Forge, which is a ministry to men committed to, I love this vision, building great men as God defines greatness. He's been involved in developing men for 40 years. He was focusing on men as a lead pastor when nobody else is focusing on men. This guy's a big deal. I'm really excited about him. He was one of the first speakers on the Man in the Mirror faculty and is now Pastor Emeritus, Executive Director of Forge, which I just shared with you earlier. And um, Pete is on the key, uh, board of Key Life Network and has participated in the Friday radio broadcast with Steve Brown for many, many years. So I'm excited to bring Pete on. How you doing, my friend? Hey, good. How are you, Jim? Hey, I'm good, man. I'm looking at that... That uh, tan face of yours, man, it must be nice living in Florida, baby. <laughs> yeah, about 85 degrees outside right now. I was working on my tan earlier, you know. Oh, man. Well, in Oregon, we're all yellow, uh, old yellow or pale, depending on it, all, all year long until summer. Then we get red because we're sunburned. Oh, man. <laughs> so, well, I, I really enjoyed you and Dale starting out. You guys understand the male love language of shame and abuse. You get that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You you know, you, if you can't talk smack to somebody you love, then you must not love them too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right anyway dale dale's like wow ramos must really love me he does oh, yeah. <laughs> Big time. Hey, hey pete we're just gonna throw you into the uh where you live in florida and you like to get out there in the water and swim around we're gonna flow you throw you into the sharks this morning we're gonna throw you right into our rapid fire round are you ready for this ready to go okay Barely in your book it. you have 10 archetypes of a father and so i'm mm-hmm. gonna just take a few of those out of your book, and I want you just to tell me what they mean to you really quick, okay? Okay. Go with the gut, man. Number one, the welcoming father. Hey, the guy who's there, always there, and for his kids. Oh, that's good, man. So he's for, he's he's always, is he the guy who's at all their games and sporting events, or is he the guy who's not he try, around? He tries to be. He tries to be. When he can't be there, He, he he's obvious, uh, obviously sad. He loves his kids. But, you know, he, he's he's open. He, he's approachable. He's the guy that kids can talk to. Uh, doesn't mean he's not a real man's man. Doesn't mean he doesn't work. Uh, but 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 he's a, a one that the kids want to talk to, want to be around, and want to celebrate as a dad. That, you know, I, I I tell guys, I think you should be around so much in your kids' lives that it's boring. You're bored. It's boring <laughs> how much you're around. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of yeah. oh yeah, it's dad. You know, it's just boring. That consistency. That's right. Yeah, it that's shouldn't right. be a big deal. You know, it's that kid looking up in the stands hoping dad shows up. Uh, you know, you want to be the dad that it's just it's a given you're there. It's shocking that's if right. you're not there. So, no, I appreciate that. Number two, and I thought this was a I really like this one, the freedom giving father. Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, the freedom freedom giving father is a is a is a dad that really understands the gospel. He knows, he knows that Jesus died for his sins. He knows that, uh, that he messed up. And so as a result with his kids, he, he, when they messed up, it's not a shock. It's not about performance. Um, and so he, he draws them to Christ. Like he goes to Christ when he messes up and, and he gives them the freedom to be themselves and the freedom to fail. Uh, uh, and we have that in the gospel. Now the Bible doesn't say go ahead and sin, but we do. 
And, and so when we sin, we know that we get that freedom of forgiveness in Christ all the time. And, and there, with that then comes the freedom to risk, to try new things, to be who, who they really are. To, like you said earlier, uh, uh, to not play a game and try to be somebody else. Not put yeah. on the veneer of somebody else. You, they can really, be themselves. Yeah, that's really interesting, Pete. You, you talked about, you said that they would be not be in bondage, but they'd be free. But then you said, uh, you talked about performance. And I think yeah. the default of a lot of us dads, myself included, especially American dads, is to raise sons who are uh, receiving affirmation for performance. Now, don't you, do you think that, when we raise a son who becomes a man who's addicted to affirmation and performance, isn't that a bondage in its own right? It really is. And, and, and there's a very real sense, Jim, isn't it, isn't it crazy that, um, that that's the way the world runs. The world runs on performance. Yes. Quid, quid pro quo, something for something. And so in, in a very, and God says that, you know, what you sow is what you reap. Yes. So there's a very real sense in which that's a biblical ingrained uh, creation ordinance. However, when it comes to relationships with God and with one another, there has to be that unconditionality about them. And that can only come uh, in Christ and with, with grace. Well, so, you know, that's interesting that's, because you, we talked about the welcoming father and you said he's always there and he's always available I would imagine that that welcoming father and that freedom-giving father have to interact together because that welcoming father has to say, when you fail, if you fail, and when you fail, I am there for you always. I'm not going to base my love for you based on your performance. And in yep. that welcoming yep. father archetype, there's freedom, and the freedom father yeah. manifests. That's right. That's, that's right. really interesting. And that's and it really doesn't it always go back right to the gospel because yeah. because w- w- what we talk about at Forge and and I'm sure you talk about this in the same and maybe different ways but same thing that uh, a man's core identity is that he is a deep in Christ is that he's a deeply beloved redeemed son of the most high God that's our core identity now we have core roles that the bible lays out for us we're leaders we're worker providers we're warrior ambassadors but um if we don't keep our identity focused on who we are in Christ, then we will step out every day to try to find our identity in our leadership, our work, or what we're fighting for. And so that's why we have to start that why what I call our daily appointment with God. I've got to start out every day remembering who I am. Otherwise yeah. I will step I, instead of instead of stepping out of my identity into those roles, I will step out to find my identity which is all about performance. And even as a pastor, gosh, I was only as good as my last sermon Yeah. until I realized more of the gospel. That's really interesting. I'd never heard it explained that way before. You've made sense out of something I've questioned. My identity is in Christ, and if I lose my identity in Christ, tell me if I'm assuming, if I'm hearing you right. If I lose, if and when I lose my identity in Christ, I default into my roles. Is that yeah, what you're saying? That's right. Yes. Oh, then that's our roles powerful. Are, our roles are our vehicles to find our identity, to create our identity, to perform for our identity. Isn't that interesting? And so, and so the freedom comes when I know my identity, and then I can step out of that identity into my leader. I can love my wife as already an accepted husband. I can lead her 
knowing that I'm accepted 100%. So when she contradicts me or when she adds something I need to hear, I'm not freaked out. <laughs> I, I can say, well, you know, you're right. I, I do need to grow in that area, which she said the other day to me, uh, <laughs> uh, by the way. And so, and so the more grace gets real to me and my identity is solidified, I can hear negative feedback as a leader or when my work doesn't come out the way I'm supposed to. Or when I'm fighting for something and I get too much pushback, well, my identity is not what's destroyed. So well, that's you, how it works out for me. And you're saying when I fight for something and I get pushback, this is the this is a problem with a lot of spiritual leaders I see today, especially with large large organizations, is they they create a scenario where there is no pushback. It almost becomes a bully pulpit. And so to me, yeah. when when that happens, you know, we should be so far removed from our ego that people can say whatever they want. And I know with our organization, I'm like, if you don't say something to me to critique, it is about the mission, not the man. Uh, and, and if the man but, gets offended, now there's a problem because now maybe it's not about the mission or it's more about the man. And we want to create an organization that's about the mission. And we've got to yeah. be humble to be able to receive yeah. that. That That is so right. And Jim, that's too rare. You don't hear that among Christian ministers like you. We, we need to, more of us need to be that way, but that's all because of grace. Yeah, you for know, sure. Grace, and you know your identity is a grace-loved, redeemed son. Yeah, that's really, that's, but you know, my default when I'm not having my consistent quiet time is to default back to self, pride, ego, uh, you know what I'm saying, these types of things. And you know, that's really funny. Even, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that why, uh, when you get men in a room who've never met before, their first question is, what's your name? And their second question is? What do you do? What do you do? Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. How we are, we default yeah. back to ego. And yeah. we default back to performance. We do. We do. It's so natural. And and what's comp- what complicates this is that, in large part, that has to be the way, th- that's how capitalism works. That's how the world works. Uh, yes. Even in... Even in it's just how the world works. And so, but it, but in these transactions, but not in our key relationships, not in, so we never separate our core identity from our core actions and we need to. <laughs> we wow. Need to do that. Well, Hey, let's move that. This is really, we're going to have a good time on this podcast. Let's move to the third <laughs> to archetype, the adventurous father. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, well, you you told me before we started, you're about ready to go on an adventure here. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I, I believe that so many guys, because they don't feel the freedom in Christ, uh, uh, they, they don't realize that God intends for life to be a great adventure. Uh, he created everything and he said, it's all good, you know? Yeah, uh, and then, yeah. And then, and then we look at life and say, well, you know, same stuff, different day. I just got to get through it. But life is a great adventure. In fact, I think life is an adventure to be lived uh, and to be pursued every day. And that's the way I imagine what it was like when before Adam sinned, uh, God saying to Adam, come on, let's do this. Wouldn't this be great? And uh, I got this whole universe. And um, and so I think we need I think the gospel enables us to recapture the original intent we are back. We are invited into this great commission, this great adventure. Well, isn't that then, interesting? Then we, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pete. Go ahead. And no, no, no. Go, go, uh, go. Isn't, no. isn't it interesting? 
when you talk about this great adventure, you know, Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, says there are three core passions of a man. One of those is an adventure to live. And yeah. it's interesting to me, a, a book that was monumental in my life was a book written by a guy named Randy Alcorn, and the book is called Heaven. And in, huh. in, that, in that book, what he does is he talks about heaven is where God dwells. Oh, yes. And yes. so he says, oh, yeah. you know, heaven is the earth, the, the new earth. Will be we'll have a new earth we'll live on, and so now think about that. We have sissified heaven as you float around on a harp with a diaper, singing songs for twenty four seven. To me, that's hell. That's, that's not right. heaven. That's right. And so, but you. heaven with this restored earth, we can run with the lions. We can jump into. I know you love to uh, free dive for scallops. You know, we can dive in the depths of the water and not worry about drowning. We can we can barefoot snow ski down Mount Everest. You know, we can we can do all these things with no fear of death or pain or suffering. It's a that's whole right. eternal adventure with Jesus and those we love. But for some reason in the church, we said no. That's not it. Yeah, I don't no, understand. You, you are right. And both both of those books have influenced me too. I love John Eldridge. We've interviewed him at, at, on Key Life and, uh, and and Heaven. Yeah, great book. And and this is what we need as as guys involved with other guys. We need to talk about Heaven as an exciting opportunity. Uh, we will be fully actualized as men and uh, then. I love you know? that. And I, I mean... love to hike mountains too. You. Uh, you're going on a big hike, and I love to hike 14ers out in Colorado. Love that. Oh, it's man. Great. The only 14er I ever climbed was Mount Whitney, but I guess it's the tallest one in the nation, so who cares? But I want to yeah, go get some 14ers it. under the belt, too. I love doing that and get a do yeah. a 45-miler with my son this week, and I'm really excited about that. So so that's really – I love this adventurous uh, father. I, I love this thought. But let's move on to the next one, the guiding okay. father. Yeah, I think that this, this – if a man is – um, really following his heavenly father and enjoying being God's beloved son, he, he inevitably becomes a guide and a resource for his own children. And, and that's the one thing that I didn't get. And I don't know your earthly father's story, but my earthly father's story was my dad, my parents divorced when I was 10 and I was glad he was gone because he scared the heck out of me. Mm. And, um, and so most men, if I speak to a hundred men, 10 of them maybe have been well developed by their dads. Yeah. So this guiding father is, is a dad who is there, understands the pain of growing up and all of that. My parents divorced on my 13th birthday huh. and I have a really wow. good dad. He, he's not perfect, right? But he's been a good dad available, but he's not, he's not a man who lived by Christian values. So even mm. though my dad guided me in some very, very positive ways, the identity in Christ, which we talked about earlier, was not handed down to me from him. Right. And I had to discover that amount. And I'm not blaming my dad because he's he's a great dad. I'm saying all I'm saying right. is I've had to fit so even the great dads don't take us all the way. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And and you you and I both know there's no perfect earthly father. The only perfect father is God the Father. But um but but this is this is what a great, I bet, you know, I love being a dad. I love trying to break that cycle with our kids and, and, and to give them guidance where I didn't get it. And, uh, and that's what probably for both of us, you and me, our earthly father story, uh, coupled with the gospel is why we're doing what we're doing with other guys right now. Yeah. I mean, you know? and that's the deal is that, you know, I had a guy, we have uh, 8,000 guys on our Facebook forum. Uh, we're getting ready to launch another one through our website for guys that don't do Facebook. Wow. But a guy asked on there, because I'm not a religious guy, 
He said, I have a real honest question. I don't go to church. I'm not a Christian. Can you be a man and not serve Jesus? And I, and I responded, absolutely. You can. I know some yeah. horrible Christian men. I mean, horrible humans. And I know some wonderful non-Christians. But for me to be my best version of a man, for me to summit that 14er of manhood, right? I, I can't do that without radical devotion to the God who created me. That's right. I can never yeah. get there. Yeah. I won't reach my full capacity. And so That's this is exactly what, right. yeah, so this is, you know, when we talk about guiding fathers, you know, if you want, we have a lot of men listening right now that are driving to work and they're listening to our podcast. These guys need to know that they can be a good man without Christ, but they can't yeah. be the, they, they can't be their best version of a man or a guiding father without ultimate radical surrender to Jesus Christ. That's right. And, and just think about this. Go back to, to Matthew uh, and Luke, where it talks about how um, Jesus was going to come. John the Baptist was going to come talking about Jesus to draw the fathers back to their children yes. before the Lord comes. Yes. That, that we forget how important men are in our gender wars in America today. Uh, we men, we feel that we're being slighted, and we are. But that's Satan's ploy to cause us not to be, uh, to understand how core our role is. Psychologists tell us that, that a man is responsible for uh, the sexual identity of both the male and the female children. Wow. Our leadership in the home is crucial. And, and that's why they're trying, why they're trying to marginalize us. And when I first realized my father wound, I'd go, I, I learned it this way and then I'll let you get with your next question. But what happened is I was, ha I was starting a church here in Orlando and I, I, um, I had lunch with a young man and I wondered why did he, why does he think better than I do about certain things? Why does he make decisions better? And I, after my third lunch with him, I realized it was his father. Yep. It was his father. He had a really tremendous earthly father experience. And so he was further ahead in the manhood thing. Yep. And he was further ahead in the spiritual thing. And that's when I began to grieve my earthly father wound. Uh, but that's when Jesus said, hey, I got a father for you. I got a father. I, in fact, he who has seen me has seen the father. And yeah. and I, I, would, I would come back, I would weep and weep and yet find that great God is my father available 24-7, 365. Isn't that amazing? It's really, it's really, really awesome, and it's I, I'm so thankful and blessed, and my life is better because of it. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. You talked about the marginalization of men. I call it mm -hmm. the vilification of men. But there in, you go. in a lot of ways, Pete, we've we've we deserve it. I mean, eighty to ninety percent of the world's pain and suffering has been through men: war, sex trafficking, drugs, felonious behavior, rape, on and on and on and on. And and our society is very fast. And I'm not going to say which parts of society, but there are certain parts that are very fast to point out the failures of men. But then if we carry that logic on to completion, if men are the, the problem to 80% of the world's pain and suffering, then men are the solution. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, you, so you Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Hannah, Hannah Rosen wrote that book, The End of Men and the Rise of Women, and she thinks we're in a post-male era, you know, and... Uh, but but look at all the good men in in biblical history and through history. You're you're right. So we need to own that, right? Yeah. Uh, I was on an airplane once reading the Bible, and a lady's flight attendant said, "What are you doing?" She knew what I was doing, right? 
said, I'm reading the Bible. She said, what do you do? I said, I speak to men. She goes, good. They're the reason for all the problems, you know? Yeah. And they're the solution. Yeah. (laughs) I said, you're right. But you're, see, you hit it. That's why I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, I hope it wasn't my wife who said that. She's a flight attendant. So I don't think she would say that. (laughs) She'd probably say, go get them, buddy. You're the man. Anyway, that's cool. Hey, so you talked about this young man who you had coffee with three times who seemed ahead of where you were in certain areas and, and, and yeah. which leads me to the fifth, the fifth, uh, 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 rapid fire round question here. And you, it's funny when you got to this at the end of your book, I could tell you wanted to go farther with this and you didn't, I could tell it was a passion of yours. And so mm. I, I want to ask you about it now. And that's the wisdom giving father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll tell you, brother, I, I love the book of Proverbs. And, uh, you know, when a man is underfathered, what he doesn't get is how does life work? And I, I remember as a kid, always thinking I had an older sister, three and a half years older, I still do. Uh, but I always wished I had an older brother. And that's because my dad was, was gone. And I wanted somebody that could show me how to do life as a man. Yeah. And when we don't have that, we figure it out on our own. We write our own code of manhood, bad code in, bad code out. And it's wisdom uh, that is skill for living. So, uh, Sophia in the Greek word. and uh, But but God, God is prolific in giving us wisdom how we should do life as men. So... Um, he is such a good. So I read a chapter of Father of Proverbs every day. I'm sure you, many guys do that. But yeah, you too. Yeah, for sure. I need it. I need it. I literally you know, read like one literal proverb a day because I go through the one year Bible. So I read uh-huh. like one, like not the not chapter one, but like one little, one or two little phrases and lines. It's really really powerful. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really really good. And you know, it's really interesting, Pete. I, I, may, I may be wrong here, but James 1, 5, we're taught to pray for wisdom, and it's it's a promise from God that he'll give it. And and, and yep. maybe I'm wrong here, but in my years and years of reading the Bible, it seems to me that that is the most succinct and clear promise of God in all of Scripture that's beyond salvation, right? As far as yeah. if I ask God, that's the one thing God makes it sound like, hey, this is a no-brainer. You ask, I give. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That is so true. And, and, and yet do we ask for it? Sometimes we don't know. We don't ask. We don't know. So I I look at wisdom and tell me what you think on this. So knowledge. So wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. It's the skillful application of it. And that's what so often I know things, but I just don't know how to do it in the right way. And that's what a father should be teaching a son and what God, the father is willing to teach us. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you how you defined wisdom, and you just defined it, and that's what yeah. I would say. I would say it's it's not only knowing what to do, it's doing it. We I've I've run into a lot of uh, people who struggle with some deep dark addictions, and they know they're mm-hmm. very wise people. I mean, they're mm-hmm. very wise people, but when you consider the source, you kind of shut down because they can't translate any of it to to lifestyle. Uh-huh. And so wisdom, yeah. and even you look at you look at Solomon. Yeah, he was the wisest right. man to ever live until he became an old man. Then he was kind of an idiot. I mean, yeah, he, you know it, what I mean? It, he really reverted. That's really true. And what we forget about, somebody said that 
really people don't remember what you did at the early part of your life. They remember what you do at the end of your life. So how we end up uh, is, is crucial. And so as we get older, uh, we have to keep growing in wisdom or we become grumpy old men, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so the young guys need it. The old guys need it. And, and we, I, I was doing two, I did two weddings last uh, weddings. I did two funerals last year. <laughs> they are not the same. Uh, they are not the same. <laughs> no. They're not the same. I did two funerals of two, uh, retired military guys. And both of their families loved these guys. So they were warriors, but they were deeply loved by their family. And I realized I had an aha moment. And that is, I don't define my legacy. My legacy is defined by those people who speak at my funeral. <laughs> and it's usually my kids. Yeah, that is that is so true. How will the people who... And we had somebody on our podcast recently. He talked about making choices about your career based on who's going to be at your funeral. Yeah, yeah. Pat Morley has said things. Oh, that's who it was. It was it was Pat Morley. It was Pat. Yeah, Yeah. that's so important. You know, and I I look at my life, and you know, one of the goals I've had since I've been a young man was I want to have a large funeral attendance. (laughs) <laughs> I want people to come and, and that uh, because we've yeah. spoken into their life and, and, you know, yeah. you're, you're, I think, you know, what we need to let our guys know is that the old, you know, to have a guy like Gene gets on the podcast yesterday, who's 87 years old and still making videos and shipping 200 Bibles off to Baton, you know, the other day and giving wow. a brand new Bible free to one of our military guys, listen to our podcast. He's just in the game and he's just got the eye of the tiger, you know, but you know, the thing uh. about that is we've got to have us old as we get older, We've got to have. I'm in. I'm in. I'm at 53 right now. So I've got to have younger guys that are inspiring me and ticking me off, and with their raw and ignorant passion for life. And I need older guys to bring me along with their wisdom and their experience. I need to reach up and I need to reach down. And I think yep. as we get older, Pete, we need to have this, and that's the wisdom of life. Yep, that's right. That's right. I think all strong men's ministry, men's discipleship is multi-generational. Has to be. It's multi-ethnic, multi-generational. We need each other and we can't, that's why we can't fight each other. You know? No, I agree. I had a, I said that to Chuck Stecker and he said, no, it's intergenerational. And so his view is, even though we're talking the same language, his view is multi-generational silo megachurch model intergenerational was inter, guys interacting and interfacing. And so we were talking the same thing using different vernacular. So if anybody yeah, out there yeah. is going, it's not multi, I'm going, yes, it is. We're just using, just calm down there, boy. Don't, all right, all don't, right. don't get in a car I, I wreck. You. Don't get in a car wreck because you're yelling at your telephone. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, hey, Pete, just, hey, tell us a little bit more about yourself. I mean, I know you like to do certain things. Uh, give us a little, little 411 on your life in about five minutes here. Well, you know, I, I, I'm an active guy. Um, I'm from born and raised in Southern California. I was a boy scout, loved to hike, uh, loved to be outside as much as possible and, um, loved, loved to do those kinds of things. So I like the adventure of hiking a mountain, uh, being outside hunting ducks with my son. My son actually got me into that. Uh, uh, because what he, he told, he asked me, can you teach me how to duck hunt? I said, no, but I know a guy in our church that can. And, and so we, he learned it. And now he's teaching me and we have fun doing that. We hunt gators. Um, but I, but I love to, I love to, I love to learn. I love to read. Really. I, I'm in a time of, uh, I was a pastor for 35 years, but I really now as I'm pastor men in our city, 
I'm in a time of what I, I think of as convergence, as J. Robert Clinton talks about. I am so motivated just to encourage guys intergenerationally. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I, I know uh, that uh, it's really a motivating time of life. I have five grandkids, and uh, so that's a lot of fun, too. We hang out with them, horse around. So, uh, but love God, love his people, love to support his church and, uh, man, uh, love to teach the word. I'm interested. We'll have to talk offline about hunting gators, but Hey, so this book, I've got your book. I, I read your book, like father, like son, how knowing God as father changes men. Why did you write this book? Why of all the books you could have, could have written, why did you write this one? I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it, man, big time. I really do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not C.S. Lewis. It's not, I'm not John Eldridge. I, it's not the greatest book, but it's only 155 pages. So any man can get through that. Totally. Right? But, it, but it really, um, it, it flows well because what I, it really flows out of my story and the story of so many guys. Uh, and as I, as a seminary teacher, I found this, my students, uh, oh my goodness, my students were all struggling with the same thing I've been struggling with. And they were going to become pastors. Oh yeah. And, and I realized that my father wound, my desire to figure out uh, my worth was so deep that even as a pastor, I was using preaching and using the growth of our church to feel good about myself. Now, I had some pure motives, but my motives were far from 100% pure. Yeah. And I, I just realized that I needed to understand that salvation was not just uh, getting fire insurance and going to heaven, but it was really experiencing God as my father. Mm -hmm. And, and, and th that was the very thing I needed was a father. And I've learned in studying that in scripture that God never intended for us to live without a father, without a heavenly father, that all of our life, he wants to be our father. And so how does the Lord's prayer start, right? Yeah. Our father who art in heaven. And, and so many of us don't have great earthly father experiences, but I tell guys that even have good earthly father experiences. I say the bottom line is that you still need God, the heavenly father, because no earthly father is good enough. And um, so that's why I wrote this book. I, I, I wanted guys to uh, not just go to church and punch the clock, you know, punch the ticket. I did it. My wife's happy. I went to church. I want guys <laughs> to really be zealous and fully engaged and know that God deeply, God's wild about them. Yeah. God loves these guys. Yeah. And so many of us don't feel it, um, you know, even in the church. That's so good, man. Well, you know, he is a good father. And and this is, is the thing. And then you you said something earlier in our podcast that I want to go back to. You used a phrase, and Pete, I'm ashamed to say it. I've never heard this phrase before. And mm -hmm. I will probably take this phrase away from this podcast, and it'll be the one thing I'll probably always remember. You talked about being under-fathered. I'd never heard that phrase before. What a stroke mm -hmm. of genius. Mm -hmm. There's a book mm -hmm. title for you as well. There There's you your go. second book or your eighth book, wherever you are. But you said the under-fathered <laughs> father, the under-fathered man doesn't get how life works. And, you know, right. I pray the Lord's Prayer. Whenever I pray, that's my outline. I spend, I won't share how long I pray, but I, I spend a significant amount of time praying the Lord's Prayer. And my father, our father is my first part of it. 
And yeah. I'll tell you what, um, I think we really need to consider. Well, let me ask you this question. Well, no, I'm just going to say it and you can respond. I think that one of the things we fail to consider when we do disciple men is especially new Christians is to spend a significant time with them on who God the Father is. And the book of John is a great starting place. Yep. What can yep. You, are there some things about the Father that 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 you see men needing to know about? Yeah, thank you for that. I agree with you 100%. And, um, and the Lord's Prayer is a fantastic guide for our prayer time. And by the way, I think as the older I get, the more I need to pray. You yeah. know, I, I, because I, as a younger man, I was doing too much out of idealism, too much out of my own spit and vinegar, <laughs> and uh, thinking, thinking I got what it takes. Yeah. And Bill Heibel said something once. He said, I thought that if I was in Christ and in shape, I would be invincible. And I realized... I, you know, I'm not invincible. So, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, the, the, see so much about if, if the gospel says in John one, whoever receives him to them, he gave the right to become the children or the sons of God. Then that says a whole lot about our self identity. In fact, it says everything about our core, what I think is our core identity. And if, so my core identity is not a worker, that's a role. It's not being a it's it's not being a leader. That's a role. It's not being a warrior. That's a role. My core identity that'll never change, in all time and eternity, is that I am God's beloved son because of Jesus. So if I'm a son, then He's my father. Yeah, and He's the perfect father. And so all of God's attributes, as we study His um, His sovereignty his omniscience, his omnipresence, his love, his mercy, his grace, his kindness. A lot of men don't know how to be kind. Yeah, God is straightforward, truthful. I, he is no respecter of persons, but he loves me. Mm -hmm. And so we have to really understand the attributes of God, not the God we want, as Pat Morley says, but the God who is. Yeah. Um, and not create God in our image. And so, so the more I get to know who God is and realize he's not angry at me, he poured out all of his anger on Jesus. He mm. didn't have any left for me. He's not saying, son, I wish you could do it better. Um, he's, he's not angry. Uh, when I mess up, he, he's there. He wants to bring me to repentance. But so the more I know him, the more I know a good, like the song goes, one of my favorite songs, he's a good, good father. Yep, right? love it. I yeah. tear up every time I hear that. I, I, I love that song. You know, I love, you know, he doesn't like our earthly fathers. He Unlike our earthly fathers, God does not need to live vicariously through us. Thus, the yep. need for performance right. does not exist with him. He doesn't, it doesn't affect Perfect. him one way or the other. And so, hey, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. We're going to come right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group. 
today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots on the ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So, hey, Pete, so in your book, you have 10 chapters, each of them describing a father archetype. And here they are. And I want you to listen to these carefully because I've got a question at the end of it. The irreplaceable father, the father who knows you and is known, the welcoming father, approval-giving father, identity-building father, freedom-giving father, adventuring father, guiding father, wisdom-giving father, and grace-giving father. So here's my question, Pete. If you had to choose one of those archetypes and write a book on one of them only, which one would it be and why? Oh, man. I know the one. I think I know the answer. Just from reading your book, I could tell the one you kind of spent the most energy on. But I'm curious uh, what you would say here, and I can give oh. you my I can give you my opinion if you want to hear it. But <laughs> yeah, 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 give me your opinion. When I when I read your book, I, I thought you not only did you start there, but you focused a lot of your energy on there. And I, I think, in my opinion, as an, as a guy reading your book, I thought you really wanted to drive home the the point that a father is irreplaceable. My yeah. opi- my opinion. Well, you know, and, and that's why really it's sort of first chapter because it because it sort of is the overriding principle, right? Yeah, that's kind of and, how I took it. It was overarching. There was really yeah. nine archetypes and one prototype. <laughs> I don't know, you know. But, yeah. Yeah. No. No. I I think I think that's really my thinking, and I I appreciate you by the way, Jim, for reading the book because a lot of guys that do interviews don't even read the book. They read maybe a chapter or two. And so that speaks so well of you and your ministry. Well, I, I appreciate I, Hey, I appreciate it. As an author, it's insulting when people interview about your book and don't even talk about the book. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. So I, I hey, really we want to honor you as you honor us for being on here. So do appreciate you coming on the show. So, so this, so with our society though, we talked about this a little bit. Our culture says men are replaceable. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why is our culture doing that? You know, well, if, when you think about it, biblically speaking, and we think of the, the whole narrative of Scripture, right, Genesis to Revelation, we think of the whole flow of redemption history. Uh, it's always, it started in the Garden of Eden, right? Yeah. The red dot was on Adam uh, from the Garden of Eden. And so this has always been the attack. Destroy men, and you destroy women, children, churches, and culture. And uh, and so so this has been the satanic attack. This, uh, from the very beginning, it'll always be, uh, men will always be the center of attack. Yep, big heart on our, right? Big target on our chest, Just, right? well, I love what you said, the red dot. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody red goes, dot, oh, man. target. I'm like, oh, I like the red dot better. You kind of look down, you're like, you aiming at me? <laughs> That's right. Well, That's right. this is so good, and man. So, and so when, when if you get men, but you see, the opposite's also true. When men flourish... Then women, children, churches, and culture flourish. 
Right. Well, you said in your book, as men go, so goes the culture. Right. Right. Yeah. As the men of the church goes, as the men of the culture goes, so goes the culture. A culture and a church never get beyond the quality level of its men. I don't care what your programming is. I don't care how wonderful the ministry of a local church is. If the men are not quality, that church will never have the impact that Jesus intends it to have. That is a powerful, powerful statement. And you know what, Pete? I made a decision. You know, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, the godly in Christ will be persecuted. And I'm really Mm. disappointed in the lack of persecution in my life. And I've really, I really believe that the message that you just get shared, that phrase, every man around this country, and there are hundreds of men doing regional and local men's ministry like you, we have to rise up a standard against the cultural norm, and we have to start proclaiming with boldness that we, hey, first of all, I'm a big fan of strong women. My wife's a flight attendant. She's had a career all of our marriage. I do the cooking. Yeah. I do the cooking. I mean, I'm, wow. I'm a, I love to cook. But it's cathartic. But what I'm saying is I am pro-strong women. Women, do whatever God tells you to do. I'm not going to limit you. I'm not going to say, oh, the Bible puts you here. But what what we're saying is we're calling men up to carry a mantle of truth that God put on his shoulders. On page two of your book, you wrote this. I'm a little fired up right now, so i got to calm down here. My wife says, calm calm down, boy. You wrote this on page two of your book. Very, very powerful. A boy learns or doesn't learn how to be a man primarily from the most significant man in his life. If that man, his father or father figure, is absent, abusive, or disengaged, that will shape the kind of man or boy. I love how you phrase that. He's going to become a man or a boy. He's not going to become a man. He's going to become a man or a boy, whether... um, by molding himself into the, that image or battling against it, what a mm-hmm. powerful statement! How does how does a how does a young man break free of this abusive, absent, or disengaged dad so he doesn't grow up to be a forty-year-old boy? Yeah, boy, and that's so true. And that's what Peter Pan's all about, right? Yes. Uh, the, the the boy who didn't grow up. And there was a uh, a book that came out in the eighties called The Peter Pan Syndrome. And, 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 and how, how really there are a lot of men that don't grow up. You, you can grow old and not grow up. And you and I have seen hundreds of them. And so really it's, it's getting the gospel at, at that deeper personal level. We talk about having a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Well, what that often means is accepting Christ so we don't go to hell. But I think a personal relationship is, is it goes, takes that and says, well, uh, then God is my father and I need to experience him as father so that grace preach. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So yeah. we keep that reminder that I'm a, a son. And, and then, and then I have to say, Lord, what father, what kind of, what kind of man do you want me to be? Uh, and, and that, that means I can fight against those false models of manhood that that are, are are all around us and that I have a tendency to be and follow the culture. Well, it's uh, interesting you talk about false models of manhood. We had David Murrow on our podcast. He wrote a real oh, yeah. real good book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And he made, he said something very powerful. I think he lives in Alaska, maybe in Arizona, yeah, but he Alaska. goes back and forth. But he said something yeah. very powerful that I, I really, you know, you talk about false 
manhood. You know, in 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 Christianity, the the message in Christianity to the culture is that if you become a man, that somehow you become less of a man if as a Christian. So somehow Christians, Christ, people look at Christianity as if you become a Christian, you become less of a man. But in Islam, uh, the more religious you are, the more of a man you seem to be. And yeah. we, we serve, I just was reading Acts chapter 2 where Peter says, you did this to the man, capital M. Jesus is literally the man. Jeff Voth out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, our friend with Cave Time, says he is not only the ultimate alpha male, he's the alpha and omega male. So, so we serve this good father, but we also serve a savior who's the ultimate man. Why has our American culture wussified what it means to follow Jesus? I don't get it. Do you understand? Well... Yeah, you know, you and I both struggle with that, but it started uh, the feminization of the church. Uh, the book that was written, it started in the Middle Ages, and it started it a long, long time ago. So we have a long history. Why don't many pastors, why do they struggle to disciple their own men? Because they've never been discipled, because they have father wounds, because they didn't learn it in seminary, because they're more comfortable with women. I've asked pastors about that. Well, and because a lot of guys, these guys that are in the pulpit today, never had men follow them in high school and college. Now they get a piece of paper and they go, Yo. wait, I don't attract men. In fact, I'm I'm not manly. I better go after the women. They're easy to go after. That's and exactly so, right. Because of intimidation, the manly men in the church scare them. You're right. That's right. Yeah. You get the, the real strong business guys. Uh, they, they intimidate most pastors. Yeah, they don't know how sure. to handle it. For sure. But look at G. And so what you said, what Jesus said, uh, did uh, in the cleansing of the temple in, in John chapter two, uh, you know, oh, he cleansed Jesus, it. All right. He, he cleansed, <laughs> he it, cleansed it. All right. <laughs> and, and, and this is Jesus as he always was. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and he will, he, he's always been that way. And so in our day and age, I think one of the big issues facing Christian men is to learn how to have caring conversations as well as courageous conversations uh, and to flesh out how we can be intolerant like Jesus is intolerant. How to be intolerant. as And, you know, it's interesting. I'm quoting a lot of guys we've had on the podcast before. Paul Coughlin speaks to that in that uh, we don't have to be nice. We shouldn't be nice. Right. In fact, I think nice is, is very borderline a sin. We need to be good men. That's right. That's right. And good That's men right. take a stance. Okay, so here we go. The most powerful, this is again my opinion as a guy who read the book. In yeah. my opinion, the most powerful statement in the entire book mm. was on page three. Again, mm. your focus on the irreplaceable dad was so strong in that first chapter. But here's what you said that to me was, and maybe it comes back to my own my own history, but here's what you said. I'm going to ask you, my question for you is going to be, at what stage of life does a man actually realize this truth? Because mm. I don't think that I realized this until I was an older man. Mm-hmm. Here's the quote, most powerful quote in the book, my opinion. Men hunger for a great relationship with their father. The lack of that relationship marks their lives and affects all other relationships. And sadly, many men today are trying to make their through their life, make their way through life without the help, guidance, and love of a father. Yeah. That is, yeah. I cannot lift that statement. It is so heavy. 
Can you walk us through, when does a man realize, because I don't think a 20-year-old realizes this. I mean, at what point does a man realize, oh, crud, this is a, this is an issue for me? Yeah. Or when can I, he articulate I think, it? I think a lot, you're right. And I think a lot of guys don't, maybe a lot of guys don't ever get it. I, I was, I was 33 uh, when I realized not only with that one guy, but other younger men that I was uh, helping or helping start our church, um, I realized it was the dad. And I, and that's when I, I had begun see those of us who went through divorce were survivors. You, you, you just got to do it. And yeah. there's no more selfish time of a, of an adult's life than when they're going through a divorce, the kids are neglected. They make decisions about remarriage and all that kind of stuff. And so kids are left. And so we're survivors. And so this survivor mentality is I'm going to make it happen. I'm, I, I'm either going to numb myself out with drugs, alcohol, or whatever, or I'm going to survive. And I took, I'm going to survive. I'm going to be a success. I took the performance route. Super achiever. And super achiever yeah. route, right? And, and, but, but then I realized the deep emptiness in my heart. And, I, and it wasn't that I hadn't achieved. It was that I hadn't been loved mm. by, by my father. And I, I, I was loved by my mother. My dad just couldn't. He just wasn't able. And, um, so I think that that's it is men are looking for that deep love of a father. We can get it in, in Christ from the heavenly father. Yeah. But, but that's what we deeply need. And it's too, almost too sissifying to think that we need to be loved, but we, that's what we really need. Okay. So here's a question. I agree with everything you say, categorically agree with it. But I always ask this question in my life because I, I hear statements and I go, I hear it, I agree, how? So yeah. guys are listening. I'm thinking of a guy named Billy. Hey, Billy, shout out to Billy in Louisiana. Driving truck in Louisiana somewhere, listening to this podcast, and he's saying, okay, how do we get that love? Like, how, how do I physically experience the love of the father in my life. Does this make sense? How yeah. do I physically, like, how do you, Pete? Now I have some answers. I, I have some answers. Yeah. I'm going to let you do it. How do we physically as men experience the love of the father in our life? What are some practical ways a guy can do that? Well, practically ask for it. Uh, if you if you haven't accepted Christ as savior, accept Christ as savior. Confess your sins, repent, and say, I need you to be my father. So if you haven't done that, do that. But secondarily, those of us who have been Christians for a while, it's, Father, I know you love me in my head, but I need to feel it, too, in my heart. I need to, I, And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would do that in me. Help me to feel the love of, 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 of my Father in my heart. Um, uh, and then... And then remember the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember that he's not mad at you. Think about what this helps me. Uh, I think about how horrible the scourging uh, crucifixion uh, of our Lord was and wonder why was it so horrible? Because sin is so horrible. My sin was so horrible. I put him there. But then I, I, I also then I remember that God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus he doesn't have any left for me. That's what helps me. Um, uh, and so uh, he wants to develop me. And then by, uh, and then by just having brothers that remind me it's not about performance. I need some, uh, what I call my fire team. 
helping me. That's it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's it. Go ahead. I love that. Well, I mean, uh, we're going to quote a mutual friend. Patrick Morley in his book, The Christian Man, said this, a Bible, a small group, and serving someone will serve 90% of your, solve 90% of your problems. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you this, like I, I, you know, I tell the Teasendale early on about crawling and being born under a rock. And I'll be honest <laughs> with you, I have, I say some pretty horrible things to him because he works with me in a different role, and, but he keeps on coming back. You know, I got guys in my life who know my worst. They see the impatience. They see the, they see the, the, the they see the worst of me. And they yeah, keep coming yeah. back because they're on my fire team. And like, even though you're wounded and acting like a jackass, right, I'm going to keep right. loving you. And I think with men, this is so important for men. I think Morley, yep. this, I think it was either Morley or, or a, uh, uh, a Brett Clemmer, you know, they just discovered that only one in 18 men in America is in a small group and only one in seven in the church. Man, yep. we need our bro. We see our father through our brothers. Yep. That's so true. And that's why what we talk about at Forge is having two to four guys that fight that are that you're it's fighting for you. And it's accountability is good, but first I need to know that I'm loved. And so uh, you know, on a on a on a military fire team, you're going out to accomplish a mission, uh, and you're you're getting each other's back, but you're also force facing outward uh against the enemy and uh to accomplish the great commission. And so um but but I I'll be accountable to a guy if I know he loves me. Agreed. You know? So well, that's the deal. If you can tell him the dark stuff and he's still going to be your buddy. So speaking yeah. about speaking about experiencing the father, speaking about being loved by your brothers, on page 18 and other parts of the book, you spend some time talking about sonship. Now, this book is like uh. father like son, so you're really focusing on father-son relationship. But I think mm-hmm. this would go for daughtership as well. You know, yes. God, God called Matthew 17, maybe he called Jesus son. In fact, the God, God, the father speaks four times, I think audibly in the new Testament. And three of those times, no, three times he speaks audibly. And two of those times he's calling Jesus publicly saying, this is my son. Yeah. So God models for us the idea of sonship or uh, why do, why, why do you think that God did that publicly for Jesus, and why do you think it's so important that dads verbalize, I am your father, you are my son, you are my daughter? Why is that phrase so important, Pete? It's so important because an identity is never earned. An identity can only be bestowed, and it can only be bestowed by a father. Um, this is this is what we learn from the scripture of God the Father to, to Jesus. That's exactly what you've just said. And we men think we can earn an identity. You can't earn an identity. You can earn a reputation, uh, but you can o- but an identity as a son can only be bestowed by a heavenly Father. And uh, and so that's why this is so very important, and why we need to remind ourselves and pray for it, so that so that. Yeah. Next time something happens bad, we remember, hey, who am I? I am not my I am not my wallet. Like in fight in the movie Fight Club, right? <laughs> you're not your wallet. You're not the car you drive. You're not the clothes you wear. Um, um, we are. Uh, it's like I told my sons. I, I said when they were young, I said, Joel, John, you are not men yet, but I'm going to turn you into men. And when I say you're a man, 
you're a man and don't let anybody tell you you're not. Ooh. Why? Because it's my role as a father to bestow an identity. Well, we're doing our 45-mile uh, death ruck this weekend. I'm taking one of my three sons with me, but there's a man flying out from Texas. He's bought our, our buck knife, and we have our, our man card definition engraved on it. And uh, we are doing a rite of passage with his junior in high school uh, on that uh, event. After, at the end of mile 25, we're going to go through our whole rite of passage ceremony with this guy. Wow. And give him this knife and make him carry it out again. His dad probably is going to be tired of carrying it. But how cool is that? That is fantastic. You know, that, that is almost as fantastic as this quote you have. You just now said, and I want to go back to this. I want to keep talking about this. An identity cannot be earned. It can only be bestowed. Talk about the unconditional gift of sonship and love that a father, this is unconditional. A father yeah. can give his unconditional sonship and love to their sons and daughters. It's unconditional. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's you, right. It's like it's like you have three sons. What a wonderful thing! And and so when that first baby was born, right? And and, and you were probably there. Oh and, yeah. And they, hand, <laughs> and, and they handed him to you. Um, you know, you go. This is my boy. Yep. This is mine. Named and, after me. Named after me. Oh. The fourth one. The fourth James. So they're really significant. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. What's your middle name? I'm a William, but we don't care about that. We just go by James the first name. James William Ramos the the fourth. Yeah, but we yeah son. he's got a different middle name, but we still call him the fourth. Okay, we okay. make up our own rules. We're but, Portuguese. We don't care. Hey, oh, why not? Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want. That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah, but but that's I I think that that it is, and that's what grace is. You see, and so that's why essentially, when I say that we go back to the gospel for all of this, that we have to go back to grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserved yes. favor. Yes. And so that's why really what, what's the essence of this? Grace is what energizes our identity as sons. Is when we go back, man, I didn't earn this. I couldn't have earned it. Uh, grace is the energizing principle of manhood. It's the energizing principle of sanctification. It's the energizing principle of every aspect of the Christian life, the unmerited favor that we have in Jesus Christ. Wow, that's heavy. Grace is the Un, is the energizing principle in the Christian life. So, so, so this is really powerful stuff. So, by grace, I can say to my son, "You are my son." It is unconditional. No matter what you yeah. do, you are my son. No matter what yeah. you do, or you're my daughter. I have a granddaughter, or my granddaughter. No matter what you do, I love you. Now, this is the one that I think men struggle with. Now, for me. I was I would hold my boys, held them like I held them. My oldest son, he's twenty five. I can still hold him. He loves being, you know, embraced. Yeah. My middle son, not so much. Never did. Yeah. My youngest son could go <laughs> either way. But I I found that as my kids got older, especially when they started reaching puberty, and I, I found that my desire to embrace them was challenged and diminished. But in on page thirty four of your book, you spend quite a bit of time talking about how important it is to physically embrace our sons. Yeah. Give me, give yeah. us, give these guys some advice here. You know, I think, I think we need to, uh, the reality is, is that if you, uh, if you did not receive physical embrace from your dad, it's going to be hard to pass on. Yeah. And so 
you can only love in the way that you have been loved, and then you can only love to the extent to which you've been loved. So if you never received that physicality, uh, it's hard to pass on. But what I say to guys is if you will allow God to embrace you through grace, if you will allow the Father to love you unconditionally, then even if you have more of a Germanic attitude, you know, you're Portuguese, you want to hug everybody probably. <laughs> Not so, really. <laughs> uh, uh, but but, but um, if you have more of a Germanic, you know, uh, attitude, uh, then you can you can let God embrace you and it can enable you to touch. Why? Touches is God given. It's important. It sends messages. Oh, it sends messages that words that can that can back up words. Um, oh yes, that is well. You uh, know, and, oh, it's so good. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm processing what you're saying here. No, it, it's just and I and and dads that hang back and don't touch their sons, don't touch their daughters. This gets awkward. Our, our daughter, when she started, you know, growing up, you know, it's kind of like, what do I do now? Well, you just find the right way to hug your daughter as she develops. And uh, they still want that embrace. They still need to know that you're their daddy uh, and the, the welcoming soft spot. And moms are wonderful. Of course, moms, generally speaking, are more nurturing, but dads are nurturing too, in a different way. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, so. uh, Pete, I, when we talk about embracing our sons, you use the word in your book, embrace. That yeah. is not a handshake. No. We're, so no. guys, so guys, you guys listening, this is not a handshake. This is a body yeah. shake. We, it's you put it, it's putting em. your arms around your sons and just, I mean, I, my son James lives about an hour away, and I see him probably every other, every other week probably, and every time I see him now, I physically <clears throat> embrace him. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's easy just to go, hey, son, shake his hand, or hey, just acknowledge his presence. But to yeah. physically embrace, I mean, and I don't, I gosh, I'm sure it's in Luke chapter 15. I see a picture in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal's return of a father oh, embracing yeah. Yeah. his son, yeah. and the son has scripted out his repentance speech, and the father listens to not a single word, and he just embraces him and welcomes him home, which is a picture of the grace of God. That's right. And as we model the grace of God to our sons and daughters, the grace of God should be welcoming when we see them. We the Christian yeah. man, the Christian man should say I love you so much it's boring and should be a, a man who's practicing this art of it's really an art of embrace. It is. Yeah, it really is. I see my son every Tuesday morning. Uh he comes to our forge meetings and uh and and the first thing I do is I, I hug him. I, I like like that and Okay, so I got a quarter Venezuelan, so I got that somewhat naturally. But, um, but the reality is, is, is that that's important for all your kids and for other brothers, too, in Christ. Yes, but, it, but for your son in particular, this is what's really standing out to me right now. When your son walks into the Bible study, your, your Forge study in your group, which, guys, if you're connecting with Pete, man, launch a Forge meeting in your city, man, no matter, it doesn't have to be in Florida, it can be all over the country. So if you're connecting right now, contact Pete. But when your son walks in the door and you embrace him, what you have just said yeah. is there's no other man in this room as important to me as you. That's you, right. you are special right. because you are mine. There's a, there's a, when I call my son's son, which I call him yeah. son all the time. I had a guy one time go, that's really weird that you call your kid's son. Well, what it does, and I didn't even think about it, but what it says to them is, you belong right here, right now. We are your people. That's right. That's right. That's right. And sometimes 
just in, in line with that, Jim, I'll say, I'll say, this is my boy, you know? Yes. And, yes. And, and sometimes, sometimes I'll also um, say to my guys, as I'm talking to them, I goes, guys, you got to remember you're God's boys. He loves you. He deeply loves you. Uh, uh, you're, you're his kids and he's wild about you. And we have to, we have to hear that. We can never hear that too much. Oh, hundred percent. A son can never hear. I'm proud of you too much. Yeah. A daughter can never hear you're beautiful too much. You just can't overstate those phrases. You know, uh, yeah. anyway, I, I, we're, we're out of time here, but I'm fired up. I want to yeah. skip down to a quote you have on one page 122 uh, and 123. You talk about the guiding father in that guiding father chapter. And you said something I wanted to address. And you said, I have to let you on. And, this, and we've been talking about God's grace. And we live in a, a day and age where we, we want it and we want it now. I, I want to I want to heal my father issues and I want to heal them now. I want to experience God as my father. I want to experience him now. I want to fix my relationship with my son. I want to fix it now. But you, you said something to me that was really encouraging for my American ears and for my American eyes to read. And you wrote this. I have to let you in on a secret. He, God, is on a different time schedule than we are, and he's in no hurry. Jeez. It's dangerous to insist that God always or usually operates in a quick and decisive manner. Can you address mm. that quote? That's a great quote. Yeah. You know, as he says in Scripture, uh, my ways are not your ways, uh, says the Lord. And, and, and he's not in a hurry. He can't be pushed, but he's constantly working. Uh, and so, it, you know, this whole idea of, of relentlessly re relaxing and trusting is what we need to do. He is at work. He is developing us. And um, and our brothers can help remind us of that day in and day out. And also our daily appointment with God. I need it. Um, yeah, so, so powerful. So. Hey, man, we're well, out, we out of time, but I got one last question. All right. I'm all not right. letting you off the hook. I want you to give a, our, we, we call our podcast the Men in the Arena podcast because we're working with men in the stress bubble of life. They're raising yeah. kids in the home. They're, they're, we're, you know, we're not in that phase anymore. We're just kind of on the other side of it. But can you give these guys one nugget of advice? Like, what is your go-to advice on fathering? Ah, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, 90% uh, of success is just showing up. That great theologian Woody Allen said. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I would say as dads, just, uh, get with the Lord, let him energize your grace in you and then and love and forgive and just be there. I Just be there. And when you mess up, say, I'm sorry. I've messed up more times than I can say. And uh, uh, so it's just showing up, being there, being in, in, the, in the trenches. And at the end of the day, as they move out, you will see, you will see uh, that your influence has really been there. Because you were there. Oh, man. Well, in John chapter 4, Jesus is at the well, and he runs into the woman at the well. But the Bible says, basically, that Jesus is tired, he's hungry, and he's thirsty. And mm -hmm. all he did was show up. And so, man, yep. whether men, whether, yep. whether you're tired, whether you're hungry, whether you're thirsty, just show up. Just show yep. up. So, hey, how do our guys pick up your book? What's the best way to get a hold of you, Pete? You know, they could go to Key Life Network and get it from them, or they could go to Amazon. 
uh, or to uh, New Growth Press, either way. But um, uh, I really appreciate that. And our website is forgebiblestudy.com, forgebiblestudy.com. So if a guy's want uh, to And get- listen, I, I love what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're one of my heroes now. Uh, and I didn't get to know you before, but now I do. And I'm going to follow you closely. Thank you for your uh, We're going to follow you. So if I want to start a local team in my community, I just go to forge.com. Forgebiblestudy.com. Forgebiblestudy.com. And you can find all our stuff, and you can use our videos or whatever you want to do. I sure appreciate your heart there, man. Hey, Pete, thanks for coming on our show, sharing your wisdom, your experience, sharing your book, uh, Like Father, Like Son, with our men in the arena, and for being a man yourself. So thank you so much. God bless you, buddy. Hey, man. Hey, guys, you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. What's the next step, guys? Let's get some boots on the ground. What's the action item that you're going to take because of this show? Very, very simple. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to go home sometime this week. We want you to physically hug, embrace, put your arms around your son or your daughter, all of them, whatever you have in the home, individually, and say to them, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, and hug them. So for some of you, that's going to be a piece of cake. You do it every day. For some of you, it's going to be tough. You've got out of the habit. So, guys, it's so important. Guys, we'll also post our Boots on the Ground action item in our weekly equipping blast. You can subscribe to that by going to meninthearena.org and grab your free PDF version of my bathroom book for men. Also, make sure you head over and join the thousands of men from around the world in our Facebook forum for men, also called Men in the Arena. Hey, guys, did you know that Men in the Arena is a faith-based nonprofit crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. And because of a large group of generous champions, financial donors like you, we're able to freely offer this podcast, our equipping blast, discussion forums, and our small group resources to missionaries and men in underdeveloped nations for free. You can find out more about how to get behind our ministry at meninthearena.org. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. No roar? Oh, okay. That was more like bad breath. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Father your children. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.